Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... I would like to help others become better designers and instructors through my research and teaching. So through that, I am going to indirectly impact so many more classrooms. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. I hope you and your loved ones are all doing well and staying calm, safe, and healthy. My guest today obtained her bachelor's in electronics and communication engineering in India before she came to the U.S. to continue her studies in engineering. But after she took courses in educational technology at Arizona State University, she decided to pursue her master's and Ph.D. in educational technology. She has worked on instructional design projects for Intel and Cisco Learning Institute, as well as academic institutions, including Maricopa Community College District, University of Phoenix, and Arizona State University. She has also taught online for North Carolina State University and Walden University. I'm thrilled to introduce to you today Florence Martin, Professor in Learning, Design, and Technology. Florence serves as the Program Coordinator of Doctor of Education in Educational Leadership, Learning, Design, and Technology Concentration and Program Director of the Postmaster Certificate of University and College Teaching at University of North Carolina, Charlotte. She is also Director at Large for the International Board of Standards for Training, Performance and Instruction and serves on the Board for North Carolina Virtual Public Schools. Florence engages in research focusing on the effective design of instruction and integration of digital technology to improve learning and performance. She has received over 1 million US dollars in funding from the National Science Foundation for her research that has resulted in over 60 publications and 100 presentations. If you are interested in instructional design, educational technology, and online learning facilitation, this episode is for you. You will learn the most effective online learning strategies derived from various research studies to help you enhance your online presence, design a 21st century classroom, and prepare your students for success. Florence will teach you the skills and competencies of award-winning online instructors and define the eight key roles you need to assume to thrive as an online educator. She will also share good practices and simple recommendations to help you design and integrate online learning environments to improve student engagement. Tune in to learn from a higher education leader 
who wants to help others become better designers and instructors through her teaching and research. And in helping others, she continues to impact more students in classrooms around the world. Let's dive right in. Hello, Florence. Welcome to Impact Learning. Hi, Marielle. Thank you for having me on the call today. So let's start with your childhood. What is your favorite memory related to learning? So I grew up in a city called Coimbatore in South India. I did all my schooling there all the way until my uh, undergraduate education. So definitely have fond memories of the town growing up there in Coimbatore. School-wise, it was very different growing up. I was a good student, <laughs> but then, you know, the system of education was very different. Very, We were very exam-focused, exam-centered. It was very lecture-based, so very teacher-centered. A um, lot of individual learning, you know, so there was not a lot of group work. But then I know you asked me for a good memory, but, you know, these were all still good memories, even though it was different. You know, the system of education was different. We just figured out a way to learn and do well in that particular situation. We really didn't have a whole lot of technology growing up. Not at home or not at school. I think, uh, if I can think, uh, the only time I had access to a computer even was once, I think it was in middle school, like sixth grade, we had like a computer science class. We would take turns, go to a computer lab, and that was really exciting because that was the only time we had access to a computer. But other than that, you know, it was all print-based textbooks and then uh, the teachers, we did not even have a PowerPoint. So it was Blackboard and the teachers would write on it and we would take notes. What did you enjoy uh, learning about? What was your, let's say, favorite topic that you wanted to study more? Oh, I liked math growing up, you know, math and science too, and loved problem solving, you know. So in the other subjects, it was very factual and conceptual. There was not a whole lot of application. So math, on the other hand, had that, you know, so you're solving for a solution. So that always excited me. We did have labs, you know, in science. So that was very interesting too. But I would say if I had to pick one, it would be math. Mm -hmm. And what did you study at the university? So I did my bachelor's in engineering. So it was in electronics and communication engineering. So the equivalent in the United States would be an electrical engineering degree. And did you know what you wanted to, uh, to do or to become when you grew up, when you went to the university? So in, in India, or at least in South India, it's very common for parents to want their children to be doctors or engineers. And so right after my engineering degree, I immediately started working as a network engineer. Actually, it was a trainee network engineer for an internet service provider. And it was, a, it was an interesting work experience and my only work experience in India. So I did that for about a year, but then I wanted more. So then that was when I decided to go to graduate school. So I applied for a few schools in the United States and then came to Arizona State University. Actually, when I 
came to the U.S., uh, you know, I did not know about educational technology. It's still, I think, you know, a, a field that not too many people know about. So if you tell someone I'm an educational technologist, you have to explain what, what you do. So when I came to the U.S., I did not come for an educational technology degree. I came for an engineering master's. So my first semester was in engineering, and then it was in, uh, yeah, it was in the communication side. And I mean, it was okay, but, you know, I wanted to do something different. And that's when I got introduced to educational technology by a friend. And then I said, let me take some classes in educational technology. And I really enjoyed it. And that's when I decided in my second semester to make the switch. And uh, I earned the master's, but then I didn't stop there. I even continued on to uh, get the doctoral degree. I thought it was so much more meaningful and you can have a lot more impact uh, on learners all over the world. So I decided to make the switch and become an educational technologist. Mm -hmm. So now you have experienced uh, at this stage, you have experienced the education system in two different countries. What was the impression when you arrived and how has it changed over the years? You talked about the exam based, the, you know, learning, memorizing. So what happens when you arrive to, you know, the United States? So immediately, I would not say the the learning was very drastic right away, especially, you know, seeing some engineering courses. It was still very similar, like very exam focused and, you know, teacher centered. So the classes were not as engaging or interactive and still very individual learning focused. But then when I switched to educational technology, it was like whole another world to me. That's where I realized there is this whole another way to teach and learn. So the learning was very student-centered, you know, everything designed was very student-focused and there were, there were collaborative work uh, in addition to the individual work that you do. So there was a lot of learning discussions uh, that were happening in classrooms. And then th this was the first time I also saw a lot of projects and presentations. So, you know, there is room for other authentic assessments, like, you know, real world uh, assessments in addition to just giving quizzes or writing exams. So I was introduced to that. And then we also began using a lot more of technology. Uh, learning management systems were used. So not only for sharing um, instruction, professors were using it, but also for engaging the learners. There were some online discussions happening. And so, I mean, it was still very early on. This was in the early 2000s. So I would say online courses were just getting popular, not quite as where we are right now. So it was definitely a different uh, form of teaching and learning that was happening when I was in educational technology graduate school. Mm -hmm. And so now you, uh, you graduate. What do you want to do next? So when I was in graduate school, again, you know, the, I'm, I'm still have that engineer hat, right? I wanted to go into like corporate. And so academia was not on my mind at all. So uh, I worked towards it. I still worked on research projects. And while in graduate school, I was a teaching assistant. Uh, so I taught a couple of courses and I enjoyed doing that. I taught computer literacy and computer applications to undergraduate students. But then at graduation, I said I wanted to go to the corporate world. So and I did. So uh, I worked on three different projects. I want to say I did a consulting project for Intel Corporation. And then I worked on a project 
And the next was actually I came back to community college system uh, for the Maricopa Community College District, which was the, the big one in Arizona. So I worked for them on a, actually it was a National Science Foundation grant on digital visual literacy. And then I also worked for University of Phoenix. But then, you know, my uh, short uh, time in the corporate world uh, made me realize that uh, learning and training was not prioritized as much as it could be in the corporate sector. And I wanted to see that. So that was one of my big things. I said, okay, I, as much as subject matter experts are prioritized, learning and training departments are not. So, but then coming back to the community college and then at University of Phoenix, I saw how, you know, the importance was teaching and learning where uh, the focus, the focus. So at that point, I decided, okay, let me apply for a few academic uh, positions. And so I did. And then so about a couple of years or even less than a couple of years because I graduated in December. So 2007, I took up my first uh, tenure track faculty appointment at University of North Carolina, Wilmington. But uh, what I want to say is, I think my brief experience, even in corporate or other consulting projects, all benefited me uh, when I, you know, was ready to start in academia. Because in academia, so sometimes book-driven and theory-driven, so the real-world experience, you know, always uh, is helpful. I kept up with research, so that was, uh, you know, important too. But then I think the show, even if it was a short term, my experience was beneficial. And so I was able to make the switch to tenure track position. And I taught at um, UNC Wilmington for seven years. And then after which, within the UNC system, I moved to University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte is a, a much bigger city and uh, we, we really like it here. So Very nice. So what is your current role today? So I am a professor of learning design and technology. So the way I like to explain that is, you know, learning, command design and technology. So three things. So there's the focus on learning or how people learn. So, and you're integrating learning principles and theories into everything you design. So that's the second one. So the design is uh, emphasized on instructional design learning design or instructional design. So the systematic design of instructional material, it could be instructional and also non-instructional interventions. And then the integration of technologies, the last one. So, you know, you're looking at all the latest and innovative technology, which has an impact on learning. Of so that is what I do. That's uh, the program I teach in. Um, so in addition to teaching, I also research. So I research in the area of online learning mostly now, but, you know, on the broader framework of it is to engage the learner and improve their learner learning experiences. So that's what I work on. And I also serve as a, a program director and a program coordinator. So uh, one thing that I saw is there was a gap at the university level. You know, there weren't too many programs preparing graduate students or even doctoral students to teach in university settings. So uh, along with another colleague, I created a, a post-master certificate. So you have to have a master's degree to enroll in this to teach at the university and college level. So it's called post-master certificate in university and college teaching. So I'm, I'm very uh, you know excited about that because we've been able to then give these doctoral students or you know post-master students 
the pedagogical and the technological skills they need to be successful uh, instructors in college and university settings. So what kind of skills, what are the top two or three different skills and competencies they need to acquire to go from a matter expert to be able to teach? So, for example, one of the courses that I teach is the doctoral seminar in teaching and learning. So I do like four different focus areas in that course. So the first focus area is focused on the learner. So getting to know your learner is very important and uh, what background they come from and then also theories of learning and then strategies, instructional strategies to design your learning. So that's uh, kind of one module. And then another one is instructional design. We spend two, three weeks on instructional design. What are some frameworks and processes that are out there? And also even simple as, you know, writing measurable objectives and how do you design activities and align them with assessments? Uh, Some of them have not heard that or done that ever. So walking them through that important, you know, systematic design to uh, instruction and uh, instructional alignment and then also give, giving them hands-on time. I also spend time on different delivery methods. So if you're teaching in a hybrid format, if you're teaching in a um, on synchronously online format or asynchronously online format, you know, how do you design your lessons and uh, give them a hands-on experience to build a course. So they usually will design and develop a course that they will may be able to teach in the future. That's what they do. And we wrap up with some innovations because, you know, in the in the education, educational technology world, there's a lot of innovations happening. For example, uh, how to integrate open educational resources, because you don't have to reinvent the wheel if, you know, there's instructional material that's existing uh, or how, how do you use mobile devices in your class? If you're teaching a blended class and your students have access to devices, how do you use that and build on it uh, and then or adaptive learning or we look at different innovations depending on whatever is uh, out there. Mm-hmm. So I think so both a combination of your learners and learning theories and then instructional design and then delivery methods and then innovations. So at least that's the course I teach. Beautiful. But then, you know, there are other courses in the program specifically focusing on different topics. So this is for those who want to uh, be, teach at the university or college level. But I also teach courses for those who want to be learning designers or instructional designers. So that's kind of the other hat that I wear or being a leader in those settings with the doctoral degree now. What does it mean to be a leader in education in the current setup? So the students who come to us, so we hope to see them take on leadership positions as like directors of educational technology. They could be in K-12 or, you know, in uh, community colleges, higher eds. Uh, or even in corporate settings, you know, you're leading instructional design teams, leading training training teams, or uh, in higher ed, you know, it's very common for us to see centers for teaching and learning. Yeah. So hoping that the students, doctoral students who graduate uh, with these uh, doctoral degrees in educational leadership, we are hoping that, you know, they would be in leadership positions for those settings, like the centers for teaching and learning. Very nice. What are the, the big changes that you've seen? How has instructional design evolved over the last 15, 20 years? So uh, thinking back, you know, uh, when I 
was even in graduate school, I think, you know, the technology has had a, a big impact on the delivery method, I would say, even though the, the elements of instructional design has not quite changed. Like as in, you know, you still want to write your measurable goals and objectives, still have instructional materials that directly are aligned to them and then design activities uh, that can engage your learners and then have both formative and summative assessments. But then when you talk about technology, things have definitely evolved. And I think from the traditional face-to-face, -face, we moved to blended. And my perception is nobody should be truly face-to-face -face these days because, you know, we have this technology that is available. So capitalizing on it, you know, it gives us that opportunity to be in a blended setting where learning does not happen, have to happen only in the classroom, right? It can also happen outside the classroom. So I think that's where that blending uh, can come in. So blended became very popular. So when I started teaching, it was more in a blended format. I was still able to see, uh, meet with my students in person, but then still use the technological capability so that, you know, they could learning could happen off the classroom too. Later, what happened was even at the prior institution, I started teaching more synchronously online. We use uh, WebEx and so, you know, it was, I mean, there was that immediacy and real time uh, was there, but then students could log in and, you know, uh, participate in class from anywhere. So that's the type of delivery method we use. So I had to design instruction, knowing that my students were not there, you know, in person, but then they, they were off campus. And then, you know, towards the end of my time at the prior institution, there was also a time where we tried to combine both in-person and synchronous students together. So I've even written a couple of pieces. I think we, I call it as blended synchronous at that point. Uh, and that's kind of becoming a little more popular now in COVID times because, you know, with all the social distancing, they're trying to combine students who could come and then those who want the flexibility together. Uh, I've taught in that format for a few semesters, and it is challenging because now you have to think about the needs of your learners who are in front of you, but then who are also like at home. And then so when you design activities and group work, you have to think through how do I do that? So I used to make everybody, uh, even in class, uh, stay on a laptop so they could like, like, you know, have the chat conversations going on. But we also had some really good technology. We had like Cisco telepresence systems, so which cameras that could zoom in into the whole class. We had like table mics and choir mics. And so the audio was also captured very well. And from that, you know, when I moved here to UNC Charlotte, it was an asynchronous online program. So it was a little different, right? So now it is anytime, anywhere learning as asynchronous means, you know, no real time. But then in the anytime, anywhere, I was initially a little nervous because you don't see your students. There's no live conversation unless they take the time to come to your office hours. But I've been amazed in the last seven years, you know, you still get to know your students. Learning can be as effective or even better. There's more transparency in asynchronous online uh, teaching and learning because every single detail has to be now designed and called out. Mm -hmm. And in this asynchronous online, how do you communicate? Like as a you know teacher, instructor, how do you communicate with the students and how do they also communicate with each other? So uh, there are different ways. 
I like using Moore's interaction framework. You know, there's the three types of interaction, which is the learner, learner, the learner instructor, and the learner content. And I actually use that as a framework for one of my studies on engaging uh, students, online students. So uh, different ways, you know, so learner instructor came the strongest, you know, it's very important. So uh, what I do is I send periodic announcement every Monday they hear from me. I send an announcement through the course shell. But in addition, if there's something else, you know, midweek they'll hear from me. Um, within the lessons too, you know, in addition, when I say instructional material, I also take the time to record a brief, I call them as e-lessons. Mm -hmm. You know, these are short videos, 10 minute long lessons like, you know, summarizing content for them. So I have my video on in that. So they kind of get to see me and hear me. So that's a way of communication I do. But then also responding to emails promptly, you know, I have something called as contact the instructor forum in the every course I use. So if they have questions, that's very general in nature, you know, not very specific to them. I ask them to post there because then if you respond there, everybody sees it. Then, you know, you don't, if you have like, 20 students, you don't have to respond to 20 different emails. So those are some different strategies I use. We use discussion boards. You know, this is both for learner, learner and learner instructor. Every week I try to have a, a discussion, uh, a question, a prompt for them to think, but still do it more application focused. We do like, you know, peer reviews are there. So again, there is some kind of communication. Even do group work, even though it's a little challenging, you know, in an asynchronous online setting, it might be challenging, but then they figure figure out the details. So there's a lot of engagement and communication happening there too. And then I think also, you know, the, as the instructor providing the timely feedback and, you know, grading, because when you don't see them, you know, they're distant. And so they need to hear from you more often. So that periodic timely grading and feedback is also very, very critical. So those are some different strategies mm -hmm. I use. And I have two questions. So the first one is when, I com when we compare the synchronous and asynchronous, and it can be, you know, person to person, or of course, you know, the other one online, how does engagement vary? Like, where do you see better engagement or which aspects perhaps help more, you know, with engagement and success? Because ultimately we want the students to engage, learn mm -hmm. and succeed. Um, I think the engagement is different, slightly different in both. You know, to me, I would say both aspects are important, asynchronous and synchronous. That is why, you know, I came up with this a framework or a model called Bichronous, which is co combining both asynchronous and synchronous. So even if your class is entirely, I mean, um, mostly asynchronous, which is what I do, uh, I also try to build in one or two synchronous sessions, which is, uh, even though it's optional sometimes, like a mid-semester Q&A where students can log in and talk to you. And then at the end of the semester, maybe do some real-time presentations. So I think, you know, combination of both is always helpful. And you cannot truly do an entirely synchronous class because, you know, you will probably use an LMS. So there is some asynchronous elements. So talking about engagement, you know, in the synchronous setting, you have a lot of that immediacy component, right? So the text chat functionality, the audio and video, so you see, hear each other, so you can see the emotions, whether they understand. So that aspect is not there in the asynchronous. So, you know, that engagement element is a little uh, different. 
Uh, I also liken the synchronous and other way to engage us like those breakout rooms. Most of the tools have breakout rooms these days. So you could put your learners into small teams. They can have a discussion, like brainstorm, and then you could bring them back and even reflect on it. So different strategies uh, can be used. Even, you know, quick polling or interactive activities, even if you ask a quick question and have them respond in text chat. So those are different ways to engage. Because again, you're in your synchronous class, you don't want to be lecturing, right? If you're lecturing for a really long time, your students are not going to be paying attention. So coming up with these engaging activities, uh, even in the synchronous class is very important. So I would say importance is both, both synchronous and asynchronous and figuring out that blend, what is perfect for your class and for your learners and do, doing that is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Bichronus online learning and very active and well-designed uh, discussion boards. Mm -hmm. To me, that this is a very effective way. And I've taken recently in the last couple of years outside of academia, you know, like individual courses and the ones that they had built in, we used to call them learning groups, but more or less is meetings, you know, that we work on specific objectives. So it's very like breakout rooms, very uh, specific and focused on work that we you know, create together, we get feedback from each other as, uh, as students. Sometimes we may have a coach or a facilitator, mm -hmm. sometimes we don't. But these are really, really important for engagement and uh, accountability. And of course, you learn a lot from other people, from the work of others. But this to me, the bichronus and the active discussion boards and the feedback, as you talked about, are making, you know, engagement uh, easier and more fun also. Learning is more fun. I want to take a step back now and think about many of your peers, you know, educators, teachers, instructors, that they moved from in-person to, you know, distance learning or online in, you know, during the pandemic. So now as we look at, you know, look at the new year, how do they make their work easier, but also more engaging, more impactful and more fun? What kind of, I guess, framework, what kind of competence do they need to learn to be able to do that even better? So when you're moving from face-to-face -face and to online, you know, to blended or to online, um, I think the key is getting to know your learners, understanding your context, irrespective of, you know, whichever modality you're moving in and uh, using all the functionality that is available for you, right? So when you're moving to online, um, so you want to know what skill set your students come with. So you, you want to design it in a way that they are comfortable in that environment. So in terms of instructional design, I would say the simple thing is, again, I've already mentioned it, uh, you know, that instructional alignment, you know, making it very transparent to your students. You're probably going to use the learning management system, even if you didn't use one uh, when you were teaching face to face. So keeping it simple, design it simple, because, you know, if it is complex, students will log in and then if they are lost, they will log off. So making it very simple for them, you know, have a clear homepage, but then have a mod do modules or, you know, units, whatever you do for each module, you want to clearly tell them what are the objectives for that week? What are the different tasks you want them to do? And have due dates, clear due dates, have these due dates in multiple places even, but you know, keep it very clear and visible to them. Consistency is another one I would say. When you design, you know, you want the design to look the same. Don't change 
every module don't try different things because i think you know if it is if they know what to expect each week this is what you do and this is what is going to be due at the end of the week i think keeping the design simple is important so i said go um, objectives and then have instructional material interactive multimedia based material you have the option now if you're going blended and online maybe if you were face to face you didn't have the option to i mean you might you could have played some videos in, in class but then now you know if they they are they have access to the technology they can watch interactive activities can be done online too so you capitalize on that and then build some activities you know build some engaging like as we talked about discussions engaging discussions or uh, having them uh, some hands on work Uh, so mm-hmm. that it's just not only writing papers or taking tests, but some some hands-on you know projects that they can work on that is directly aligned you know to the course goals. That's the framework, right? So instructional alignment that's the key, and keeping it simple and transparent, and making the tasks clear uh, to your learners. And then also when you create your modules, make sure it's all linked, and they don't have to go to too many places to access all these. and um as an instructor you know i also like to remind that um when you move blended or online it doesn't mean your work stops just as in a face to face you still have to be present so the instructor presence is still very very important whether it's blended or whether it is online you know if you're doing discussions or we talked about you know uh, how do you engage the learners or how do you communicate so i call all that as facilitation right so there are three elements you know in in blended and online so the design is there and then there's facilitation which happens during the course all the different tasks you do and then you have assessment and evaluation and assessment and evaluation can be throughout the course too right you don't want to rely on those end of semester exams alone you want to have different activities that can measure your students learning all through the semester so you know so that's spending enough of time on that is also very important and for evaluation um uh, what i also like to do is i like to collect feedback from the students so the mid semester getting information is everything working well is the design clear to you how can this be made better and also at the end of the semester you know universities do evaluations but then you can in the evaluations that university do does is usually very generic you know the items you could also do very specific like you know topics you used uh, you thought or strategies you used did these work for your students so even getting feedback at that level is always uh, helpful very good uh, you've done a lot of uh, research on online learning strategies What are the highlights? What are the best, I guess, the most effective strategies when we talk about online learning? Let me highlight a couple of studies here. For strategies, you know, uh, I've done recently I did a couple of studies on readiness. So, you know, how can instructor and students be ready for online learning? Uh, there are three elements that overlap for both of them. You know, communication, the way you communicate online is different. We looked at some strategies for that. and then the technical competencies too are a little different right so when you are online you need to be able to use you know the hardware and the software and all the other technical elements that come with that managing time is different when you're online because a lot of times especially if you're in asynchronous class you know 
it, you can put it on the back uh, saying, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. So unless you're disciplined, you know, it's hard. So that's something we focused on. And then as an instructor, you know, for readiness, the design is very important. How do you uh, design instruction? So that's something they had to pick. So uh, those both those articles are published with the online learning journal and both are open access. So anybody can access it. Uh, I would uh, definitely recommend uh, especially if you're considering, you know, teaching uh, online or being a student in an online setting. Apart from that, I've also done studies on uh, we already talked about engagement, you know, the engagement strategies both from the student perspective and the instructor perspective. So what strategies help to engage the learner? And facilitation, again, you heard me use the word facilitation. So I came up with 12 different things that you can do to uh, facilitate your course. Simple as, you know, I talked about sending announcements. It might look simple, but then just religiously doing it, right? Sending announcement or being present in discussion boards or providing feedback and responding to questions. So those are all simple facilitation strategies. I've also done uh, recently done a study on design, uh, though it is not published yet, uh, which is under review. So I'm trying to look at different elements, different types of strategies. And then uh, another study I want to point out is we talked with uh, some award-winning online instructors for their strategies. Okay. So these are kind of so strategies through their perspective. Very, very interesting, you know. So they also focused on design, assessment, and facilitation. Actually, design, assessment, and evaluation, and facilitation, So, which is what I talked about earlier, right? So for design, what they told us was, again, they all stressed on the systematic design process. It's interesting because these award-winning online instructors are not instructional designers. They all have expertise in different content areas. So they talked about systematic design process, considering learner needs, and then you know designing that learner interaction. So they stressed on that in design. And in facilitation, they also talked about the timely response and feedback. So, you know, to be an effective instructor, so that came up again. They talked about availability and presence. Periodic communication, they mentioned. So that is very critical. For assessment, they talked about um, using a variety of assessments and using both traditional and authentic. You know, you know the course, you know your learners. So what you best... What, what, what do you think is best for that particular content that you're teaching, right? But using both traditional, which is like exams and quizzes, and but also doing authentic, which is more real world uh, projects. Designing rubrics to assess students is very important because then it makes the expectations very clear to the students. And then uh, they talked about also the importance of going through like quality assurance process, you know, during the design, getting feedback both from uh, students as well as peers. So those are some of the different things that they talked about. Mm -hmm. So far, you've mentioned some of my favorite words. We have not talked about social and social, you know, social investment, connection. Where does this uh, come into place? Within an online context, social presence is very important, right? Uh, and as we know, in the community of inquiry framework, we have the teaching presence, the cognitive presence, and the social presence. I think all that we talked about so far is on teaching and uh, cognitive presence. So the social element is critical. So providing an opportunity, whether you're doing it as asynchronous or synchronous or bichronous, uh, building opportunities for them to have that social element is important. 
So I like building a, a forum in my classes, calling it a student lounge. Like, you know, where students can post any questions they want. Doesn't have to be anything about the course or about the content. They want to talk to each other. And also the synchronous sessions, you know, giving them time uh, in the sessions to even uh, catch up and, you know, chat with each other. I think a synchronous session definitely helps build up the social element a little bit more. Doing some sessions, you know, coffee hours or something like that definitely is helpful. Happy hours, you know, social yeah. happy hours. And another thing we do in our program is uh, we actually have uh, social media groups. Like we used to be on Facebook, we're still on Facebook, but we're also trying to do it on LinkedIn. So we can form that community among the learners. So students can, you know, outside of the class, you can still exchange resources or, you know, connect with each other. So I think that is an important uh, social element. And another thing I do and uh, do it early on in the in the course is uh, do like a icebreaker discussion. You know, that is when they get to know each other. Very, very important, especially if you're asyn asynchronously online, you have to intentionally, you know, uh, uh, have a discussion and ask those questions. So when I ask them to introduce themselves, I ask them to tell tell me like two things that, you know, others may not know or something that's exciting and something that will make them stand out and others to remember them. And then the peers have to take the time to respond to the others. I also kind of encourage instead of text-based discussions, I make them do audio video discussions. So I make them record like a, a voice thread or, you know, another tool. What happens is so you, you're not only reading notes, you're seeing and hearing. If you're doing text-based, even sharing pictures, you know, so you're kind of connecting with each other a little bit more. So mm -hmm. just simple strategies where you can uh, build that social element. I want to go back now to the educator, the instructor. You already talked about facilitating versus teaching. And also you mentioned that the ones that they are award-winning and very effective, they use design, even though they are not instructional designers by training. What are the roles, the competencies? Uh, what do I need to learn to become really an award-winning instructor in terms of my roles and skills and competencies? First and foremost, you know, you're a subject matter expert. You have to have your content expertise. And then you're a course designer and developer. So you need to have expertise, you know, learn how to design and develop courses. And then course facilitator, which I talked about, right? So once you design and you develop your courses, your responsibilities don't stop. It just actually begins because now you're getting ready to facilitate it. And then you're also a course manager, you kind of do some managerial tasks that, that falls there. You're an advisor and mentor to not only to students, but also to peers. So that role is also very important. You're an assessor and evaluator. You, you assess and also you uh, evaluate. And then you are a technology expert. So you learn to use the technology I mean, even if you don't consider yourself expert, you're on the path to becoming an expert. And then the last one, which is very important, is you're a lifelong learner. 
because I think in this age, you know, there is so much of changes, you know, in techno in the technological world. So we have to be constantly, you know, learning and not only with technology, but also with the pedagogical practices and constantly be learning so that we can be more effective in what we do. So those are some of the different uh, roles that I think are very important for online instructors. Beautiful. Thank you. There are instructors and teachers, of course, who say that uh, they want to prepare the students for the 21st century, you know, to build their career and become lifelong learners. What are the two or three things they need to keep in mind as they design their 21st century classroom? What advice would you give them, the two or three things they need to keep in mind? I would definitely recommend that to prepare students for the 21st century, you want to be student-centered. So kind of moving away from the teacher-centered practices to student-centered practices, put the student at the center of your classroom and learning. Uh, Building collaborative learning in addition to individual learning, you know, because we all learn from each other. Right. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. Focus on the performance based assessments uh, in addition to the traditional exam driven assessments. And then finally, you want to use the technology meaningfully so that it supports your teaching and then students can learn these days. You know, so make your classroom a technology enhanced classroom. So those are some things that I would mention. Mm -hmm. Let's take now a look at the future. What do you see in the future of online learning? And I'm really interested in your insights. Where are the untapped opportunities? Like, how can we really level it up? How can we make it better? How can we create a better experience for our students? Future of online learning. um, I think uh, the LMSs we use, I, I think we are already at a good place. You know, the learning management systems. I am hoping that uh, the LMSs will be accessible to everyone all over the world. Right now, you know, there is a cost that comes with some and not every country has it. So COVID has clearly shown the differences because in some parts of the world, they still don't have learning management systems at their institutions, which shows that they are still very traditional, right? So I am hoping that there will be a change. There will be more open access learning management systems that institutions can themselves, you know, set up and uh, make it available for their learners. So that's a big one I'm hoping for. Another one is adaptive learning is getting popular, more personalized learning. And, you know, based on your students' performance, it gives them different paths. And But right now, it's still a lot of work to design these adaptive learning modules. You know, there's a lot of different vendors out there, but then there's also a learning curve for the instructors to design that. So I'm hoping to see that kind of becomes easier to do and within the LMS, you can do it. So you could create non-linear paths. You know, some LMS has already let you do it, but I'm hoping it becomes a lot more easier to do it. And I'm hoping we'll also use the mobile learning more Even in the online settings, uh, there might be apps that we could use to engage the learners. Hopefully, those will become everyday practice. You know, these days, when I was growing up, I didn't have a phone, (laughs) you know, but these days, even little kids have phones. So if they have that, you know, capitalize on that and how can you engage your learners? So 
uh, hoping that is possible. And, you know, in uh, COVID times, one thing that I hope for is, even though it has been challenging on several instructors and teachers, I'm hoping that all the lessons that have been learned on the importance of digital technology will stay with us. And moving forward, we will rethink and look at education differently so that we can still use the digital technologies to better educational practices. So that is something that I'm hoping for. Mm -hmm. What is uh, for you the, the biggest learning, observing and doing also research in online learning during the pandemic? Is there anything that surprised you or you didn't expect that you would see? So um, I was already teaching online with my teaching design practices. I didn't have to go through major change, but both me and our students who are preparing to be instructional designers, I think we were all able to, my colleagues, instructional design colleagues, we were able to help others. So that is something was helpful because others were reaching out for that support, how to uh, design and teach online. That was very helpful. Another thing, the biggest change or, you know, thing I had to do in, in spring, you know, when we all, like the entire university shifted uh, to online was learning to be flexible with my students because, you know, my students are graduate learners. So they, they have families, they have jobs, you know, some of them have aged par parents. So they had a lot of other responsibilities. So for me to keep in mind, you know, with COVID happening, so how do I learn to be flexible? But at the same time, you want them to be successful. So that is uh, something that I had to do. And one thing that I was able to do is also um, COVID and also before and beyond COVID, I, I hope to do is all the studies, the research I do, take it and implement it not only in my classrooms, but also share it with others, do workshops for others, to share, share the research. So when the practice is grounded in research, in data and research, you know, it, it is always effective. I would say we were able to do that. Mm -hmm. So my favorite question, what is uh, one thing you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? I would like to help others become better designers and instructors through my research and teaching. So through that, I am going to indirectly impact so many more classrooms. So in a, in a sentence, if I have to say, that would be it. Teach others to become better designers and instructors and also research so that they can take the, you know, grounded research and take it to practice. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Florence. It was wonderful. Thank you for, again, for all the work you do, for being a teacher and educator. And it was wonderful to learn more about your journey and your work. Thank you, Maria. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.